Nah, it's time for an upgrade. Let's do this. Welcome everybody to the Nerd Pool Podcast, the podcast where we talk pop culture, pro wrestling, and everything else that's on my mind. So sit back, grab your snack, and listen in as I rant and rave about everything we know and love. What's up everybody? Welcome to episode 100 of the Nerdpool Podcast. As always, I am your host, the fat fool that loves Deadpool. Yes, it's me. Yes, it's me. It's a J-M-I-E. Your 100th favorite podcast host. And as always, your Sherpa down the road of nerdiness. 100 episodes. God, this is crazy. You know, I had big plans for a milestone. I mean, very few podcasts can make 100 episodes. I did it. I didn't know if I'd make even two or three. And I've had thousands of listens, and it'll be 100 episodes, and it's just been amazing, and thank you guys. But because of the COVID-19, the coronavirus, whatever you're calling it, the global pandemic, which is shut everything down and kept everybody locked in their houses unfortunately i can't do what i had planned so i'm gonna move on and i'm still gonna do an episode and it just happens that 100 is gonna be this year's nerd pool mania where i review the biggest event in sports entertainment and pro wrestling that's right it is wrestlemania they had to pre-tape a lot of stuff at their performance center with no fans and no fans being there means that this wrestlemania is going to be one for the books it's going to be memorable and people will talk about it for a long time right up there with WrestleMania 3, WrestleMania 1, all these big WrestleManias that had these big moments this one's going to be talked about with because let's face it this is the only time in history you've ever seen it where it isn't in front of thousands of people it is in front of whoever can be let into the building and that is no fans just the production crew the announcers and the performers that are performing in the ring. Stephanie McMahon opened us up to the show talking about these trying times and how they're still going to put on the show and that we all need to come together and, you know, thank us for enjoying and let's get ready for WrestleMania. We opened up with the opening that they were going to show. It's all pirate themed because it's in Tampa Bay this year. We get a Jack Sparrow voiceover impersonator as he runs through the stories and telling us that the story isn't what we thought it should be. And Not a bad opening, very produced. But when you see the show, for no fans, it seemed like it was too big of an opening for this. But it's WrestleMania. We've got to get into it. The first match of the night is Asuka and Kari Sane defending the Women's Tag Team Championships against Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. This being Kari Sane's first and possibly last WrestleMania, it's pirate themed. Pirates is her actual gimmick. She didn't get to come in on a pirate ship, and that sucks. She could have had, this was tailor-made for her. The the stars aligned for her to have a monster big entrance, and they just couldn't do it. Alexa Bliss starting the match off. Alexa Bliss kept smiling. You could tell that she thought that it's it's WrestleMania. She's getting to wrestle for the first time in a while at WrestleMania, and it's just insane, the whole aspect of it. No fans. It's completely different. But her and Nikki Cross are taking on Asuka and Kari Sane. Asuka is being very entertaining as Asuka. Her taunting people in Japanese, her screaming in Japanese is probably the best thing for a character because why have her try to speak English and do it in broken English when she can just say it in Japanese and be a heel that way? Asuka and Kari Sane work very well together as a tag team and as singles competitors and it's just their tracks talk and smack talk work so well. Nikki Cross is a ball of energy and during this match she really gets to shine and show that she's not just a sidekick to Alexa Bliss. At one point she does an homage, what I'm guessing is to the women's USA soccer team when she uh, takes her shirt off and she's wearing nothing but a bra. Nikki Cross unzips her top and shows when she's getting intense. So we get to see the first instance of Thicky Cross. That's right, Thicky Cross. I called it first. And it, the match went well for what it was and what the best you can do. The lack of crowd, I think, really hurt it at first because these, these seem like, especially with Nikki's comeback and everything, 
You know, she needed the crowd to be able to get behind her. And it just, it, it, it wasn't there. I mean, there, there was nothing they could do about it. But Oscar's one of the best in the world. Kari Sane is amazing. Alexa Bliss has come tremendously far in her in-ring performance. And Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross get the win. They become the two-time women's tag team champions in this, in what was a good opening match to WrestleMania during these weird circumstances. You're going to hear me say that a lot. Next up, we had King Corbin versus Elias. Corbin comes out talking about how he threw Elias off the perch at the Performance Center, and he's not going to be there, and just to count him out, give him the victory. Of course, Elias comes out, hits him with the guitar, and this match gets underway. This match was underwhelming. This match really was a Raw or SmackDown match. There's no reason for them to really be at WrestleMania instead to put him on the card. Corbin works hard. He does, but he's just not connecting with a lot of fans. I personally think he gets a lot more hate than what he should because he, he works his gimmick, and it's actually him. And he does good heel work, and he's not a bad in-room performer. He's just not the greatest. Elias, I don't know enough about him. Uh, he flip-flopped so much between heel and face. There's really no reason for me to cheer him here. This match was okay for what it was, but it really wasn't WrestleMania worthy. And Elias gets the win, so we're just going to move on. Next up, we had a match that I was really interested in and invested in. We had Becky Lynch defending her Raw Women's Championship against Shayna Baszler, the former two-time NXT Women's Champion and the woman who just ran through the Elimination Chamber and pinned and beat everybody in the Elimination Chamber. She just ran through the division pretty much in one match against the woman who's ran through the division over a year since winning the belt from Ronda Rousey and Charlotte at last year's WrestleMania. This match was good for what it was. I think, again, it kind of hurt them not having the crowd. They did their best to get everybody into it. These two's chemistry is okay. It's not completely there. They don't have the best chemistry, but they're getting there. Shayna is more of a ground-based, technical, shoot fighters type wrestler and Becky is more of a brawler. They worked well together. Becky ends up winning the match and I really, I thought that was a wrong call. I know they're trying to send people home happy, but Becky's already beat the division. You just had Shayna beat the whole division. What's next? I know they can continue the feud. Becky's character is becoming so cocky and unlikable to me because she's just, she's acting like Rocky in Rocky 3 when he's just beating everybody and he feel like he's untouchable. This is the perfect moment for the Clubber Lang type and Shayna Baszler to beat her, humble her, and we have a great redemption story from Becky Lynch. Again, I guess they might have wanted it in, a, in front of a crowd. I don't know if they changed it because of that and they wanted people to feel good, but I really think it was a wrong time to put Becky over. Shayna should have went over and been your new Raw champion and have Becky chase. All in all, the match was well done, and my hat's off to both women because it was probably one of the better matches of the night, and I just, I, I, I can't complain too much about it except for the finish just wasn't great because it was a fluke. Shayna gets the, the uh, Caribouda clutch on, Becky rolls her up, and gets the pin. It's kind of a fluke win, and I just, I, it just didn't sit well with me. The next match was Sami Zayn taking on Daniel Bryan for the Intercontinental Championship, and I was excited when they made this match, mainly because I like both guys. I've liked Daniel Bryan since he, I first saw him here in the local promotion as the American Dragon. Sami Zayn, as we all know, has been compared to El Generico. I mean, I don't know if they're the same guy or not, but I'm just saying, you know, very similar. Both of these guys are great workers, and I was like, this match could be phenomenal if they let him go. They didn't get to go long. They went about nine, ten minutes, but they did a lot in that minute to make you realize how good both of them are. They, they had the best use of the time that was given to them, and they put on a, a great match, and I really enjoyed 
the match. I thought that they work well together. Again, they both come from the same backgrounds, indie promotions, working their way up to the big times. It's nice to see Sami Zayn back into a, a wrestling role because I've really missed him because he's a great in-ring performer. He's become a great talker, and it's nice to see him as more mouthpiece for somebody. He can actually go in the ring, and him and Daniel Bryan did it, and I hope they get a match later on where they can actually have a little bit more time because these two could steal the show if given the time. But Sami Zayn retains his Intercontinental Championship. They're building a story there with Sami Zayn and Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura and Daniel Bryan and Drew Gulak. Moving on is the SmackDown Tag Team Championship ladder match with no tag teams. We had John Morrison for his team with Miz and Morrison. We had Kofi Kingston for his team with The New Day. And we had Jimmy Uso representing the Usos. Now, the story was that Miz got hurt and couldn't go, so they made this a triple threat instead of having, you know, Morrison try to go it alone, which would have been what they've always done. Miz was sick at work or showed up sick. They sent him home. That That's the rumors going around, rumor and innuendo. I don't know if it's true or not. However, this match, I was really worried when they announced this because I'm like, there's no fans. A ladder match is a very dangerous match. I hope nobody gets hurt just for the sake of the match without getting at least the fans' reaction. All three guys put on a hell of a ladder match. Given the circumstances that they had, the circumstances surrounding the entire match, and everything they could have done, the match turned out really well. There were some high spots. There wasn't any insane high spots that made me go, oh my God, you know, why would they do that? They took some spots that were fun. It was energetic. Morrison is amazing. Kofi's amazing. Jimmy Uso, they're all athletic men. Ending of it was a little kooky. As all three men are on top of the ladders, they're all reaching for the belt. They all pull the belt down at the same time. The apparatus holding it, and they're fighting over it, and then they shove Morrison. Morrison grabs the belts, and they rip off the as he lands, so he technically has the belts and has won the match. It's a little bit of a wonky finish, but... I can't take anything away from it because the match was a great ladder match for, again, given the circumstances. I'm not a big proponent of saying that, you know, because they didn't do a bunch of high spots, it wasn't good because they really wasn't the time for it. There, you know, no fans. There's no reason to kill yourself. Even in front of the fans, it's a tough thing to say that. But without having any fans around, you don't want to, you don't want your people to go out and kill themselves when they're running with limited wrestlers at their disposal anyway because of people getting quarantined and everything. Morrison and Miz retain the SmackDown Tag Team Championships in a triple threat singles tag team ladder match. We had Seth Rollins next up against Kevin Owens, the Monday Night Messiah taking on the man who's been revolting against the Monday Night Messiah's egocentrical trying to get reign over Monday Night Raw. Rollins is out wearing all white. I do think Rollins needs new music. This entire gimmick is just, his music is the same as it's been, and it doesn't seem like the music fits the gimmick anymore. Kevin Owens coming out. Kevin Owens is one of my favorite wrestlers, has been since he was Kevin Steen on the Independence. Both of these guys can go, and I'm looking for a great match. The match starts off kind of slow for me. It picks up towards the end. And we end up seeing Seth Rollins get himself disqualified. And as he's walking away, Kevin Owens basically gets on a microphone, calls him a pussy, and says, come back, no disqualification, no countouts, let's get a real winner, let's finish this once and for all. Rollins comes back, they fight up the rampway, and Kevin Owens gets a big WrestleMania moment as he dives off the WrestleMania sign onto Seth Rollins through a table. He wanted to jump off something. He said he wanted to jump off the pirate ship 
at the stadium, and he was he was planning on how he was going to do it. He didn't get to. However, he got to jump off here, and it was a cool little WrestleMania moment. Kevin Owens wins. Kevin Owens gets the retribution against Seth Rollins that he has been waiting for. I fully intend for this feud to continue. I don't think that's the end of it. I don't think we've seen the end of it. But we'll have to see where it goes, and we'll have to see how they do it. But Kevin Owens picks up your win at WrestleMania. Next up, we see R-Truth in the bird's nest with our host, Gronkowski, and his buddy, Mojo Raleigh. I can't stand Rob Gronkowski, okay? He is super annoying in the role as host of WrestleMania. He's trying so hard to be entertaining that he's coming off as cringy and annoying. He's not entertaining. I really wish they hadn't signed him. I know he's a big name in football, and he was a hell of a football player, but I cannot stand him in this role of wrestling. I don't think he gets it. I think he's just trying to be over the top, and he's going so over the top that I'm not liking him. R-Truth's up there with them. He's talking. He's a 24-7 champion. He's saying that, you know, he needs. He wants to be able to stay up there with them. Can he hide with them? They attack him. Rod Gronkowski goes to pin him. Mojo Raleigh pulls him off, pins him, wins the 24-7 championship, and then basically taunts him, saying, if you want it, come get it. I'm not running. Next up, we have the Universal Championship match. As Goldberg defends his title against Braun Strowman, it was supposed to be the Battle of the Spears. As we got, we're supposed to have Goldberg defending against Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns has battled leukemia. He has a compromised immune system, and he said he didn't feel comfortable or safe working. I completely respect. I know some people bad mouthing for it. Guys, get the hell over it. I mean, the guy legitimately has had cancer and he survived it and he has a weakened immune system he's nervous he doesn't want to do it and if he didn't want to do it that's fine leave the guy alone i hope he stays safe i hope he, him and his family stay well but they had to have somebody um they said that they had a unique way of putting braun Strowman in the match as taking roman out apparently that unique way was them just announcing it as a foregone conclusion on smackdown the night before they didn't even give it a fanfare. They just said Braun Strowman's going to defend against Goldberg. They didn't mention anything about Roman Reigns, why he was out of the match. They just shoveled him into this. This match can be summed up as spamming finishers in a video game. They come out. Goldberg gets the you know his traditional walk. So does Braun. They get in the ring. It's spear, 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 spear. Go for a jackhammer. Gets reversed. Power slam, power slam, power slam, power slam. One, two, three. Braun Strowman has won the Universal Championship. Two minutes, ridiculous. Okay, uh, I get why they did it. I know that the whole point was to take it off Goldberg. They put the title on Braun. Braun didn't get any kind of reaction because, again, there's no fans. So, I don't know if it was a waste. I don't know how this works. This match was ridiculous. Goldberg was a big name back in the day. I get it. But there's no point in this match. I mean, two minutes of just... Spear, 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 power slam, power slam, power slam. And we're going to call it a day. Thank you. Bye, Felicia. Moving on from that because I, I really, it just, the Universal Championship means jack all to me right now. It doesn't mean shit. I know it's supposed to be a world title, but guys, it is just ridiculous. Um, it seems like they don't know what they're doing with it. They have two different world championships, and it's just I can't stand the fact that it's called Universal Championship. That's dumb. I don't like the fact that the whole strap and everything's blue. It looks stupid. The next match, the main event of night one, is something that you were split on. Either you loved or you hated. It was the Boneyard match between The Undertaker and AJ Styles. We open up going to a cemetery, which I don't know why they didn't call it 
a graveyard match or something. They called it a boneyard, but it was held place in a cemetery that was kind of on a farm. We see a hearse coming in as Undertaker's gong and stuff is going off. We see people get out. They let a coffin out of the back. AJ Styles pops out. Then we hear him as he calls out, where's the Undertaker? Where's the Undertaker? Undertaker, we start hearing Metallica playing, and he rides in on a motorcycle, gets off in a kind of a cross between the Dead Man gimmick and his American Badass gimmick, which I think he's kind of returning to, which made sense for this feud with him, with AJ talking about the Taker's wife all the time and bringing up their names. It made sense for him to be the American Badass and not the Undertaker in this. I was kind of upset because I was expecting to hear the dead man walking and then either hear Limp Biscuit or Kid Rock, whichever one they wanted to, but they updated it with the Metallica song as his entrance, and I just, I don't know, man. It just didn't have that same feel. This match was batshit and crazy. It was a shot cinematic. It was off-site. They used a bunch of angles. It was like watching a B-horror movie. Um, that's about the best I can say about it. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I was super entertained by this match. But it was just not a traditional wrestling match. It's a bunch of punching, a bunch of kicking, you know. And at points, it just it, it just went over the top. But that's what made me love it. Is because I love cheesiness. And it was so cheesy. At one point, Doc uh, Gallows and Anderson come out as Taker's about to throw AJ into the, the grave. They come out. They start fighting. Lights come on in a barn. Walls fall. The Druids all of a sudden start attacking Taker for no reason. He takes them out. AJ starts beating on Undertaker. AJ actually ends up getting the better of Undertaker, throwing him into a grave. Gets on a tractor, about to dump the dirt on him and win the match. All of a sudden, lights shine up in the back. We see Undertaker standing behind him. He starts beating the hell out of AJ Styles. Beats him up on top of a on top of a barn. Um, Gallows and Anderson get taken out. He goes down. He is just beating the dog shit out of AJ Styles. Goes to throw him in the in the grave. AJ's begging him not to. He said. So you put up a good fight, hugs him, and then turns around like he's going to walk off, and then boots him right in, dumps the dirt on him, and ends up winning the match. As Taker goes to ride off, we look and we see AJ's hand sticking up with his glove in the dirt. I don't know if AJ Styles is supposed to be dead. I don't know if Taker's completely gone from the dead man gimmick. This match was, if you even want to call it a match, this was a cinematic type movie role, sort of in the aspects of what Matt Hardy was doing with the Broken Universe and TNA. It's cinematic wrestling, and it was just fun. Okay, it's something that was entertaining. It used the best strengths of The Undertaker. Undertaker didn't have to have a full-on match. It was more of a fight. It worked to his strengths, and AJ did a phenomenal job of selling when he could and making The Undertaker look like a million bucks doing what he did because it seemed like AJ was actually working with him. And it was so much fun watching this match, and if you haven't seen it, if you watch one match from WrestleMania Night 1, watch the Boneyard match, you will be entertained, because it's it's not just wrestling, and I know a lot of wrestling purists aren't going to like it, um, if you're one of the, like, old school wrestling, this isn't for you, this is more cinematic, but it just, it gave the night something, it gave a little shot of adrenaline, it gave it a boost that it needed, and I really think that this was probably the best thing of Night 1, of WrestleMania because it was just so different and something that they'll talk about with The Undertaker. So The Undertaker technically gets another win at WrestleMania on night one. Moving on to night two of WrestleMania. That's right, the second night, Sunday, April 5th. 
Stephanie McMahon welcomes us again, um, wearing the exact same clothes from the night before when she opened us. We get the same opening that they did from night one of WrestleMania, which I thought was a little strange. I thought that they might try to mix it up a little bit. They didn't. It's cool. The first match out is Rhea Ripley defending her NXT Championship against Charlotte Flair. I thought it was very strange that they did open with this match because this was an anticipated match. Um, the match, these two worked well together. The match was very well put together and very well done. Now, Rhea Ripley screams so much in this match. She's selling, you know, injuries to her leg, and when Charlotte's attacking her leg, she is grunting, she is moaning, she is screaming. Honestly, guys, if I didn't live alone and my neighbors heard it, they would probably think I'm watching porn because it was just grunts and strain, and it sounded like someone having very rough sex. The match was very, very well done. These two work well together. Charlotte's one of the best there is. Rhea Ripley has come a million, million, million miles ahead of what she was. And they're kind of like mirror images. They have about the same size, and they're very athletic, and they just worked so well together. And we had the surprise ending of Charlotte actually winning the NXT Women's Championship. Now, she's going to be defending it on NXT. I think they did have to kind of give it a little boost in ratings, hopefully, is what they're looking for. I don't know if it's going to work or not on Wednesday nights, but I think that's what they were shooting for. She's still going to be on Raw, too. I don't know if this means that Rhea's moving to Raw or if Rhea's going to stay on NXT. Rhea Ripley did a great job of the champion. She has a huge upside, and I really think that in front of a crowd, this one would have been major and done a lot better because the fans were so far behind Ripley. And, you know, these smart fans that go to WrestleMania were, would have been so behind Rhea and so opposed to Charlotte at this point. And the match would have just been a thousand times better could they have actually had a crowd getting behind it. And I don't know if they'd have put the belt on Charlotte if they had a crowd. You know, you might have wanted that, that huge pop to make that WrestleMania moment and to make a brand new star in Rhea Ripley who has been on the rise in stardom for the NXT brand. Next up, we had a match that made no sense. I don't know why, how we got here. It was Aleister Black and Bobby Lashley. The match was good. Like, I'm not taking anything away from the match. The guys worked hard, and they have chemistry, and it was actually a, a pretty well-done match. Now, it just, there was no real story behind it. There, there was really nothing to it. Uh, Aleister Black gets the win after Lana tries to tell Bobby Lashley to go for a spear. He misses, gets hit with the black mask, and gets pinned. I think they're fixing to break up Lana and Bobby Lashley already. The match was good. The match was well put together, and they worked their asses off. But there was just no story behind it, and unless you're just a pure wrestling fan, you're not going to really get into it because there was nothing there. I enjoyed the match, and I think if you're a wrestling fan, you should watch it because you would actually enjoy it. Next up, we have Dolph Ziggler against Otis. Otis is one of my favorites right now, guys. He's a guilty pleasure. He's an athletic big guy, and I mean big. I mean, he's built, he's strong, he can move, he's quick, but he's built like a cannonball. And the whole story of this was he had a crush on Mandy Rose. He has asked Mandy Rose to, on a date. They were going to go out on Valentine's, and Mandy's partner, Sonia, had texted Otis from Mandy's phone saying she was going to run late, and Otis showed up late and saw Dolph had showed up. There, I don't, it's supposed to be something with Dolph and Sonya are going to get what they want. Dolph gets Mandy. I don't really know what Sonya gets. We haven't got there yet. But it was Otis being pissed at Dolph for basically ruining his chances with Mandy Rose. And he has tried to get his hands on him constantly. And 
if for one reason or another, Dolph has always slipped through the cracks. So, Dolph comes out with Sonya. The match starts off with him basically trying to evade Otis and Otis not being able to get the hand, get his hands on him. When he finally does, it's power slams, it's a bunch of power moves. Dolph is hitting super kicks. It's 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 not a long match. It's fairly short, but they did enough to draw you in in this match. I think it's it's seven minutes, maybe eight minutes. They they draw you in enough, and it's enough of a story behind it to get you invested in it. Um, Otis is about to hit the caterpillar, and Sonya distracts the referee. Dolph kicks him in a low blow, and there's one funny moment after this that. I, I, I had to make fun of Otis because it looks like when he gets kicked in the the balls, it looks like Otis, been, you know, most guys grab it and they fall. Otis has short arms, and he's so stocky. It looked like he couldn't grab down there the way he was going. I'm pretty sure not, but it just looked that way from the camera angle that they, they did. And so he goes for that. Dolphin's going to go pin. Mandy comes out. Mandy slaps. Sonya beats on her a bit. Um, Dolph is yelling at her, what are you doing? You're going to run everything. She low blows Dolph. Otis hits the Caterpillar wins. And as they're celebrating together, he picks up Mandy. She's in his arms. And what happens? They kiss. We all knew it was coming. And it sucks for both of them that this was not in front of 80 plus thousand people that were going to be in Tampa Bay. Because that would have been one of the biggest pops in WrestleMania in recent years. I mean, people love Otis and people wanted to see, you know, the the average guy get with the supermodel, which is Mandy. And I hate it for him that they didn't get that that moment and that pop at WrestleMania because it would have been huge. Like when Miss Elizabeth and Savage got back together. I mean, it just would have been a huge, huge thing. But Otis gets the win. Good thing for Otis. It's kind of the apex of the story and now we're just trying to get the rest of it at what Sonya had uh her and Mandy are going to go into a feud I'm guessing I don't think we've seen exactly the end of the Dolph thing yet I kind of think this might be leading towards the end of uh heavy machinery breakup with Tucker and Otis we'll see how that goes but it was it was a fun match for what it was and it wasn't overdone they did enough to draw you in and the story just kept you there next up was the match that I think everybody anticipated more than anything at WrestleMania, and that was going to be the last man standing match between Randy Orton and the returning Edge. Nine years Edge has been away from the WWE. Nine years, and this was his first return singles match. He returned at the Rumble to a massive pop, and his first match back had a great story built up with Randy giving the concerto, attacking his wife, basically saying, telling him that I'm trying to keep you from hurting yourself, and wanting you to go back to your family by hurting you. The story drug you in, and it's been a great build. And then we're going to have this match in front of no fans, and I felt bad for Edge, man, because that pop would have been so huge, and he just, but he gave it his all. Both these guys tried hard. This match went 30 minutes, I think, and it it drug on way too long. The, I, the story they told was good. They were trying to make it, and it was very physical, but it was more of the same thing. It was punch, kick, punch. Edge doing a bunch of pull-ups on different stuff to do moves to Randy Orton, which was, you know, cool. But it's just like, dude, you're showing off that you've got six-packs and you're buff. We all know. But the match just, it drug on, and it was boring. The ending worked well. The ending, when they're on top of the production truck, uh, Edge has speared Randy. He's got him down. 
The ref's county tells him to stop counting, gives him the concerto as he's crying, he's upset, he doesn't want to do it, and he gets the win. Ed's wins, which we all knew was going to happen. The match was just boring, and there's people talking about this was the you know, match of the year candidate and could be one of the greatest matches ever. This match was boring as hell. And guys, they both tried their hardest. They both told the story that they could. They were just, with no fans in the small cramped arena they were in, and Ciampa and Gargano had done one two weeks before, this was just, it was way too long for what it was. It didn't show any of Edge's potential for a return. It didn't show any of Orton's real strengths. It was just, it was supposed to be a a street fight. It was actually supposed to look like a fight fight, and it was just boring to me. I, I was not entertained by it. It was just, it went too long, way too long. If they'd have cut 10 minutes out of it, 15, they probably could have made it work a lot better for me, but it's just, I'm glad Ed's got the win. I'm glad he's back, and I really wish it would have been in front of the fans because it would have gave it more, but this match just didn't do it for me. Next up, we had a cool-down match, and I'm calling it that because really this is another one that it was just a buffer match, and that was the Street Profits, Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins taking on Austin Theory and Angel Garza with Zelina Vega. It was supposed to be Angel Garza and Andrade. Andrade got hurt, couldn't perform, so Zelina has brought in Austin Theory. Austin Theory is a blue chipper. He has a great future. So does Angel Garza, but they just, as a team, they're not, they, they don't gel to me. And this match was fairly simple, very straightforward. Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins win and retain. Um, and as they're getting in there, Selena Vega, Austin Theory, and are beating up on them. We see the arrival of Montez's Ford's wife, Bianca Belair. She comes in, takes out Vega. The match was good for what it was, but it didn't go long, and it wasn't supposed to be a a huge, you know, main event breakout match for anybody. It was just kind of a filler buffer match. Next up, we had Bailey defending her SmackDown Women's Championship against Sasha Banks, Naomi, Lacey Evans, and Tamina in a fatal five-way match. That became a fatal five-way elimination match. They never said that up until this moment. The story of this match was going to be Sasha and Bailey. They're best friends. Sasha's helped Bailey retain her title constantly. Is it's one going to turn on the other? In this match, that's the whole story of it. Tamina gets taken out first, which we all know. Tamina comes in, clears house, and it gets taken out. Next up, we have Naomi eliminated by Sasha Banks. Then we have Sasha Banks gets eliminated by Lacey Evans. After a little scuffle, um, Bailey goes for a move. Misses, hits Sasha Banks. Lacey Evans clocks Sasha with the women's right, and it was a big punch. Like, it looked legit. Penzer, so down we're down to Bailey and Lacey Evans, and Sasha comes in and ends up having helping Bailey to retain the SmackDown Women's Championship. The match was probably one of the better matches of WrestleMania. All the women tried hard. Uh, Bailey, Sasha are great. Lacey's still a little green and does an amazing job. Tamina, I mean, there's never enough to tell. Naomi is very athletic. The, the whole, again, the whole story of this was Sasha and Bailey, and they've kind of planted seeds of it in this match. Doing this in front of no crowd is hard enough. That many women, it's hard to pull spots and not make it look like it's all rehearsed. So my hat's off to all of them and to Bailey. Next up, we have John Cena versus The Fiend in a Firefly Funhouse match. Now, this match, if you thought the Boneyard match was crazy, 
This match right here takes crazy to a whole nother level because it's not even a match. Okay. John Cena comes out and I'm expecting to hear a roar from a crowd, which there's nothing there. John Cena seems like he's a little thrown off by not having the fans there because he feeds off the energy. Um, as he's speaking in the camera saying, you know, welcome to WrestleMania. We see the glitching. We hear the Firefly Funhouse entrance. Bray Wyatt's there. Bray Wyatt starts talking about John Cena's biggest opponent's going to be himself. He's going to have to face off his past demons, talking about other dimensions, and that if he wants to play, just come through the door. All of a sudden, John Cena appears in the Firefly Funhouse set, and Wyatt's gone. Rambling Rabbit tells Cena that Wyatt went through the door. He closes, goes through the door. As he's going down a black area, the Vince McMahon puppet that we've seen shows up. Ask him if he has enough ruthless aggression to sacrifice his mind, body, and soul to be a success in the company. Basically giving the speech that he gave on Raw the, the the week that Cena appeared and why the ruthless aggression thing actually started. He said, said, show it to him or he's fired. They cut to Wyatt in the ring, issuing an open challenge with clips of Kurt Angle doing the same for Cena's first match that ever in the WWE. Cena came out with his original gear on. And, you know, the prototype gear and the SmackDown fish was behind him. And I popped for that because it was just, it was funny. Um, Wyatt asked him what he thought he could hang with him. Cena said ruthless aggression and then swung and missed. They did this several times. The Cena seemed like all he could say was ruthless aggression and he kept missing. They show Mercy the Buzzer and Vince McMahon puppet at the broadcast table. And then they cut to an old Saturday night main event opening that used to play on Saturday night from the WWF. Uh... Bray Wyatt stood behind an old WWF cage, the big blue cage, in front of the Saturday Night Main Event logo. Uh, he did a Hulk Hogan impression while Cena was introduced as his partner. Cena's doing a bunch of lifts with weights, basically going off, and he starts doing so much, and they're getting so hyped that he can't lift his arms up anymore, and he tries to swing at Bray, but his arms don't swing. Next thing you know, we get up in front of the SmackDown Fish again. Cena's in his thugonomics entrance. Bray's in the ring waiting on him. Cena gets in, and all Cena can do is speak and rhyme. Cena spits jokes at him. He makes a Husky Harris joke. Wyatt just nods at Cena's jokes. How dare you talk to me about chances, John, as Wyatt said. He called Cena the Golden Goose, said he's untouchable. Wyatt said Cena takes the weakness of others and turns him into jokes. Wyatt told him that this was his last chance and the floor was his. Cena made a, a D's nuts joke in one of his raps as he charged at Wyatt. Wyatt left the ring and then punched Cena. And then we cut to Bray Wyatt being the old school Wyatt, the cult leader, vignettes. And he's talking about the the prophecy implying that John Cena ruined it for him. He said it's time for him to write his own story. Wyatt does his run. Wyatt's charged at Cena in the corner and clotheslined him. Then kissed him and went for Sister Abigail, but Cena shoved him away. We both know that this is not enough to end it, Superman. I love that he called him Superman right there. It's just a nod to... Basically, the joke that Cena's been burying people forever. Wyatt drops to his knees and says Cena made the wrong choice six years ago. Footage of the Wyatt Cena match from WrestleMania six years ago is shown, and Cena's offered a chair to swing it at Bray Wyatt, and he doesn't. In this one, Cena swings the chair at Wyatt, and then Wyatt disappears. A WCW Nitro graphic appears. Old footage of NWO Eric Bischoff is flashing as Wyatt is in the ring wearing an NWO red and black shirt, looking like Eric Bischoff wearing the cut the leather jacket and stuff. He's in the middle of the ring. He's personating Bischoff. Cena comes out 
to NWO music, playing the role of Hulk, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. He's got the spray-painted belt. He's wearing an NWO shirt. He's playing the guitar on the belt like Hogan did. They're doing the two sweet hand gestures. And then Cena tackles Wyatt, throws punches at him until he stops when he realizes that he's wearing his normal clothes and he's not punching Bray Wyatt. He's punching Huskis the Pig. Uh, the Fiend appears behind Cena, puts some animal claws on him. Wyatt holds it. And the audio track from Cena's last promo last week on SmackDown plays. And it's him saying that, you know, he's going to do what should have been done six years ago. And he's going to end the career of the most overhyped, overvalued superstar in WWE history. Uh, he puts him down with the Mandible Claw. And then Bray Wyatt, sweater wearing from the Firefly Funhouse, counted the pin. The Fiend posed in the ring with the arms out. That's the end of the match. So it really wasn't a match. Now, let me tell you about this, okay? What I just said, I described it to you, but you need to see it. The Boneyard match was crazy. This was a mindfuck. This was an acid trip, and it was so freaking entertaining. I could not stop watching it. I've watched this three or four times. It tells a hell of a story, and it goes with everything that Cena said in his promo about Bray. It goes with everything Bray said in his promos about John. This was the best use of this in this situation. They could have had a match. They could have had the Fiend go over clean. With this, it's giving something different. It was highly, highly entertaining, very cinematic, and my hat's off to WWE for even attempting this and doing this. It wasn't a match. It might not have been what people have wanted, but it's what we needed, and I just loved it. Go watch this if you haven't. If you watch one thing from all of WrestleMania, I'd watch this. It's not a match, but if you know the story, you get the story, and it was just so freaking entertaining okay it's just it's just amazingly done and i cannot heap enough praise on this again it's one of those you either loved it or you hated it that's what it is you loved it or you hated it i personally loved it and i could watch this over and over because it was a great use of the characters and both of them coming together and it told a hell of a story even if it wasn't technically a traditional match our main event of wrestlemania is brock lesnar with Paul Heyman defending the WWE Championship against Drew McIntyre, who won the Royal Rumble. Again, I feel sorry for Drew because this would have been the huge, huge night for him. You know, to be in front of 80,000 people and getting a chance to hold the belt up. Drew McIntyre wins this match. Spoiler alert. He wins this match. Now, if you didn't like the Braun Strowman-Goldberg match, it's pretty much the same here. Right out of the gate, Drew McIntyre hits a... Claymore, two count, he starts beating up, we get German suplex, German suplex, German suplex, uh, F5, 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 Claymore, 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 one, two, three, Drew McIntyre wins. The match wasn't great, it was not a classic, it wasn't the best Lesnar match, it wasn't the best Drew McIntyre match, but it gave you a great ending and it gave Drew something that fulfilled a prophecy that was set years ago when they said he was the chosen one and he was the next basically the next big thing, and he fulfilled it. Him getting to hold up the championship at WrestleMania is a huge moment for him. I was excited about it. I wish the match could have gone a little bit different because I wanted to see these two hosses go at it, but this was a hoss fight. That's what it was. I'm not a big fan of spam finishers in a quick match like this, but, I mean, I don't know what more we was really expecting out of it, but it just worked. Um, the, the best man went over here, Drew McIntyre being the being the WWE champion, the first European-born, Scottish-born WWE champion, 
it's a big accomplishment. My hat's off to him, and I hope he has a lengthy reign and they can use him well because Drew McIntyre can talk, he has the look, and he has the skill in the in the ring. He has everything you look for in a superstar. And my hat's off to him for all he's done for this build-up and to take this this rough situation for him and turn it into what it got turned into. The match wasn't great, but it was what it needed to be. And that's the end of night two of WrestleMania. WrestleMania this year was different. The no fan thing kind of hurt it. It made it seem awkward, but it also will give you a night that you always remember. And it's something we really needed. For all the flack that Vince and them have gotten for still running shows, um, it gave us an escape. Um, wrestling fans, it gave us all something to watch, something to keep our mind off of the crap that's going on in the world right now and to take us away for a little bit for two nights especially and you know my hats off to everybody involved in this because it was again it was not an easy task to pull off in front of no people but everybody worked their hardest some stuff was better than others the boneyard match the firefly funhouse match were amazing charlotte and rio was great the women's five pack challenge match was fun and so you know we still got wrestlemania that's that's always going to be a good thing no matter what So, thank you all for listening to episode 100 and my review of WrestleMania. Um, Again, I wish episode 100 could have been, you know, the the big event that I wanted it to be. But, you know, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. And I'm making lemonade. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for supporting me. Thank you all for sharing this. Um, Follow me on Twitter at NerdPoolPod. Follow me on Instagram at NerdPoolPodcast. Follow me on Twitch at NerdPoolGaming. Thank you guys for all the love and support. And... Here's to 100 more episodes, so until next time, see ya!